It's common knowledge now that uh, researchers in the domain of artificial intelligence are studying the brain in order to understand how we might replicate intelligence in machines. It's less common to get the understanding that we're sometimes using machine models to get a deeper understanding of how our minds work. My guest in this episode on the Tech Emergence podcast is Ashok Goyal, uh, PhD at Georgia Tech, whose field of research is uh, cognitive systems, which is precisely that, the study of how these computer systems aiming to model cognition and thinking uh, might be used to inform our, our own understanding of what's upstairs in our own minds. And today, uh, Dr. Goyal speaks to us about uh, his perspectives on where machines are becoming more creative and what the future might look like if machines can reflect on themselves as we do with ourselves. And he speaks a little bit to where he sees actual progress in that domain, which he and I believe it would be pretty darn exciting. So without further ado, we'll get directly into the episode. So Dr. Goyal, I figured the, the first place that we'll start, we're going to be speaking today about your domain of focus, uh, which broadly is, is cognitive systems. Um, and we had talked a little bit about, you know, off microphone, how uh, cognitive systems is an, is an approach to using machines and machine learning to gain a deeper understanding of things like thought and ethics, um, which clearly is functioning at a pretty high level of abstraction. How can we use machines to gain any insight on thought? How, how, does, that, how, how does that field of research work? How do we glean insights there? That is a great question. So cognitive systems usually refers to a school of thought within AI, which is human-centered AI, human-level AI, human-like AI. Mm -hmm. So these three, each one of these three phrases is important. Human-level AI means we are talking about AI that deals with questions like thought and learning, like you mentioned. Yep. Human-centered is that it's interacting with humans in some way. And human-like is that it's mimicking human intelligence in some way. Uh -huh. So that's what cognitive systems is. Uh -huh. And like we were talking that um, initially AI, when it started, started with the goal that we will have two sides to the same coin. We'll use human cognition to inspire the construction of intelligent machines, but equally the construction of intelligent machines will inform our understanding of human cognition. And the way the latter works is goes something like this. How do we go about understanding human cognition? We can you look at what psychologists do to look at input and output often. We can look at what biologists do to look at neural connections and neural activations. These yep. are all very powerful methods. But AI suggests a third method, and that is, let us construct intelligent machines, and that will help us generate hypotheses about how mind might be working. Got it. Uh, so, so, again, through the construction of these machines and through aiming to build uh, an intelligent machine, construct an intelligence from scratch, we'll be able to inform maybe what other questions we could ask about our minds and how this whole thinking thing is really happening and working. Like you had mentioned memory. You know, what did you have for breakfast this morning? You know, I know, but we don't know how we know. And, and maybe, you know, by modeling some of these phenomena in machines, we can gain a deeper understanding. Um, where, where and how does that happen? In other words, what, what sort of uh, discoveries or, or uh, kind of gates have opened up in cognitive systems that have sort of maybe sent us in a different trajectory in biology or in, in other areas? What, what kinds of insights can or have been pulled out of cognitive systems? 
That's another really good question. Let's take an example, a very concrete example. You know, the story has it that around 1920, when Niels Bohr came up with the idea of the electron rotating around the nucleus, which physicists consider to be a great revolution in physics, the very idea that an electron is rotating around the nucleus was very powerful around 1920. He came up with that idea by analogy to the solar system planets rotating around the uh, around the sun. Yeah. The question is, how did he do it? How does human mind make these analogical jumps, which are the basis of so much of creative thought that you and I have? For sure. We don't know, except that <laughs> when we started building AI programs, AI machines that could do analogical reasoning, then we began to understand um, what some of the fundamental processes might be. Let, let me make it more concrete. Um, sure. So. One way, look, let's look again at the uh, atomic structure uh, solar system analogy for a second. It's only when you start representing them in a computer program that you get this insight. If you look at the electron, well, that is nothing like a planet. If you look at the nucleus, it's nothing like the sun. The distance, the spatial distances, atoms are occurring at a very small scale. Solar systems occur at an astronomical scale yet we are able to build analogies between them. Yeah. And so the deep insight that came slowly was that maybe it is not the features of objects that matter as much as the relationship between the objects. What is the relationship here? When the electrons move around, let's begin with the planets. When the planets move around the sun, then there's a centrifugal force that is created by the circular motion that counterbalances the gravitational pull which is why planets live in stable orbits. Yep. Same thing in electrons in the relationship, not the features of the objects. That insight comes by building machines, by writing programs. That's when you begin to understand there must be something like that going on in human mind as well. Got it, got it. Okay, so, so we can say, well, you know, how might, and it's almost, a, you know, it's a bit philosophical, I suppose. You know, how, how does one make an um um an, an analogical, you know, and an, how does one use analogies to make leaps in their own, insights um well it couldn't be it doesn't seem as though it could be done this way it seems like it must be about this and then are we able to take that potential hypothesis that potential um kind of you know a, a way that maybe analogies could be made and then model that in in machines and sort of see how that plays out are there machines that can make and that can create analogical uh um, you know, insights to some degree or, or, or understand an analogy. I, I don't even know the answer to that question. Maybe you do. Uh, yes, there are some machines like that. So in some of our work is on uh, something called biomimicry these days. Um, so biomimicry is the idea that, well, if you want to design something, look at how nature designs it. So as an example, there are so many buildings that are constructed in the United States or in the world as a whole. Every building has the same problem. How do you get water 100 feet high or 200 feet high, depending on the height of the building? And we all use electromechanical systems of various kinds. Nobody looks at how redwood trees do it, how transpiration occurs. Now notice this is analogy. Yeah. Um, if only we could build wallpaper of the way it works on the same principle of transpiration, um, then we could perhaps uh, build new kinds of buildings. So we have written programs in our lab that in fact can make analogies of that kind from nature to 
technology. So indeed, AI has uh, has been writing, and we are not the only ones. The other people, other researchers also, uh, there are programs to do analogical reasoning. Huh. Okay. Great. I mean, I, I, man. I mean, I, I. That's a. Uh... That's probably yeah. It's probably a good computer program to have when you're trying to come up with a good blog title or something. You know, ah, oh, I need a great analogy for this. I need this to yes. be. I need this to be interesting. You know, I feel like I could use that in day to day life. Never mind, you know, designing of of biomimetic buildings. Um. So okay, got it. So so there there are computers that can make those kinds of of connections. Um. It, let me ask this because I think we'll be able to get some more tangible examples to help people understand what what uh, cognitive systems are and, and and how they function in the world. Um, is uh, in terms of the last maybe five, ten years, maybe even fifteen years. Um, in terms of where you've seen, you've been in this field for quite some time. Obviously, Georgia Tech is where you are now. Um, where have you seen jumps in the frontier of of cognitive systems that you think have been meaningful or sort of been able to to maybe encourage the field to move forward a bit in the, in the the last decade or so? What have been some that that have stand has stood out to you and and you believe to be? Yep. So that there are two recent examples that I'm sure all members of your audience know about. The first one is Apple's Siri program. Uh, I'm sure you have used oh, yeah, Siri. Oh sure. Siri is an excellent example of a cognitive system. Look, it has all the three things. It is human-centered. You interact with it. It is human-level. It talks in English language or some other uh, natural language uh, with you. And it is at least some aspects of it, not all aspects of it, might even be viewed as being human-like. Actually, CD is not completely human like but some aspects can be viewed that way. Yeah, like she's so, a kind of a human. It's not a robotic voice. It's kind of a, a female, you know, relatively pleasant female voice, right? Yes, exactly. And Apple CD is such a powerful program. Uh, in near real time, it can find the answer to an almost infinite variety of questions. That's power. Yeah, it is power. You're right. Uh, here is another example. Uh, I'm sure all, uh, you have uh, come across IBM's Watson program, the one that played play Jeopardy and beat most human competitors. Yes. So that's another example of a cognitive system. Uh, access to multiple data resources, um, ask it any question, and it will give you an answer, and give you an answer, again, human-centered, human-like, um, and at least some, and human-level, at least to some degree, it is human-like as well. Now, what is common between these two programs, as different as they are, two spellbinding examples of cognitive systems that have come about in the last five to ten years, uh, what is common between them is that both of them use not one method of solving problem or addressing a situation, but multiple methods. So it is sort of a, this is what cognitive systems have been saying for a very long time that. Uh, intelligence does not emerge because there is sort of one magic algorithm or one magic network or something that does the magic for you. Oh. Instead, intelligence emerges out of the interaction of many abilities that we have as humans, and they all combine to address complex situations. Yes. Okay. Got it. So, and and this is this is curious too. I think. Well, it's interesting. You know, you don't really think about it if you're not in AI as a, a field all the time. It might. It might seem, you know, uh, somewhat reasonable that you could have some particular kind of thinking machine that thinks about things in a particular type of way, and that maybe that that would sort of finally get us there. But at the end of the day, there's so many ways that we can think. You know, you had mentioned analogies, and you're building machines that can create analogies. Um, you know, understanding natural language. There's so many facets, aspects, and capabilities of intelligence that what you're saying is cognitive systems need to have some degree of complexity 
too, if, if we ever want that sort of human-centric um, experience of really being able to relate to, to the machine there. Yes, very much so, Dan. So I sometimes think of this as a periodic table of the mind. You know, one of the great inventions in the history of science was the Russian chemist Mendeleev. He came up with the idea of the periodic table, the notion that the balanced electron is the organizing principle for about 100 chemical elements. The number of chemical elements is small. 100 is not that big a number. But look at the variety with which they can combine to create this galaxy of complex biological molecules. Yeah. In a similar way, is there a periodic table? I put this in a cushion form rather than an assertion form. Is it a periodic table of mind, a set of fundamental methods that uh, get combined in various ways so the behaviors that you and I exhibit is sort of is brilliant in its diversity, but they might be emerging from an interaction among a relatively small number of methods. Yeah, and you know what you just did right there is you made an analogy. Yes. <laughs> so so um, that's... Wow, that I mean, that's a fascinating philosophical question, isn't it? And and maybe maybe this is a good cognitive science example of, um, you know, uh, maybe that would sort of churn out some great ideas for machines we might want to construct and ways we might want to set them up to see can different kinds of intelligences emerge when we combine certain facets of intelligence. And like you had mentioned, you know, are there kind of core types, you know, of, of intelligence functions at some very lower level that, that we could almost discover to be, uh, to, to equate to the way that physics functions. That is, that is a great philosophical question right there. Mm -hmm. Yes, wow. I think so. I think uh, one of the fun things of being in AI that I find fascinating is that um, we not only will think about computation, but we also think about cognition, and we think about cognition from a computational psychological perspective and as you're pointing out from a philosophical perspective as well yeah yeah which is i i certainly um not formally trained at any high level in philosophy but i, I certainly enjoy it and, and and see the value in sort of being able to glean new ideas there um we'll move into to the last question that i had uh doctor which is with with regards to the future of this domain so uh cognitive systems you, you talked about some great examples of sort of end products of cognitive systems work you gave some examples of what you're working on sort of how we can glean ideas from this field um in the coming decade ahead if cognitive systems moves along at the pace that that we might imagine it's moving along at right now um, where do you think we might be able to get to you know are we going to have a, a Siri that's you know uh even more responsive to all of our wacky, crazy permutations of questions? Are we going to see something much more than that, much less than that? What are some, you know, and, and maybe maybe even outside of Siri, other domains that you think might move forward, what might be capable in a decade ahead in, in, this, in this field of work of cognitive systems? Uh, that's an excellent question, Dan, and of course it's also a hard question. It is. Because, you know, making predictions is always an interesting thing. Um, let, me, let me suggest at least... Uh, three lines of research that I think are going to be extremely productive in about 10 years Great. from now. Um, one of them has to do with meta-thinking. You and I were talking about uh, a little bit earlier, and you said a particular phrase, we don't know how we know, how we remember what we ate for breakfast. Yeah. So you see, this is metacognition. You're thinking about your own thinking. Yep. Now, you and I are um, sometimes very good at this kind of meta-thinking. Machines are not. Yep. 
Now, this meta-thinking for you and me, for humans, plays a very important role. You and I analyze, we fail, we make mistakes, and I have made more mistakes than most humans. Um, <laughs> but we also learn from those mistakes, we yeah. analyze them, we critique ourselves. Um, and how do we make machines that can think not about the world, out, not only about the world outside them, but can think about their own internal world? Yeah. Uh, in their own tournament. So that's one, one I think, direction that's coming up in a big way that I think is going to be very important. Imagine machines of tomorrow that can reflect on themselves, that can have introspection. Got it. Okay, so, so learn, essentially, to some degree, learn from their own experience, potentially, and, and grow, maybe, you know, maybe not exactly as we do, but, but in, in, some, in some way, not just calibrate more effectively to perform a task, but, um, again, consider the way that they are considering and, and, and almost think their way through problems, not just apply brute force intelligence to problems. Indeed, right. So we have written, for example, game playing programs that when they fail to win a particular game, reflect on their decision-making and change their own internal reasoning so that they don't make the same mistake again. Got it. Okay, so there might, so there might be some, some powerful implications of that field moving forward that, that would be exciting for you. Yes. Got it. Okay. Another one is what uh, we call visual thinking. So one of the findings from cognitive science over the last 25 years or so is that you and I think not only about images. So, you know, images are all around us. Even now you're looking at some image in your studio, but we also think in images. Inside our mind are images. Uh, mental imagery, this is called. But machines don't do mental imagery at present. No. Yeah. So, but uh, mental imagery allows us, you and me, to do certain kind of things, certain kind of thoughts, uh, in a much more efficient way. So, for example, imagine that I had a, uh, you were thinking about the letter R, um, the shape capital R, and I rotated it for you. Then how do you go about imagining this kind of rotation? You and I can do it almost imagine, Im immediately. Oh, yeah, yeah. Able to imagine. Machines don't have it. Uh, uh, but think tomorrow that machines have this capacity to think in images and therefore they are able to have this imaginative capacity, that, which right yeah. now they don't have. Wow. And now, just out of curiosity, what might that do? You know, one thing that spurned to my mind, which is a question we definitely don't have the time to go into, is that, you know, we're talking about thinking in images. When I think about it, maybe there's ways of thinking in a hundred senses that we aren't even aware of, that our minds don't even have access to. I suppose we, we can only try to model what we know, or at least that's one relatively easy path. But when I think about it, like, well, is it possible to think in, in sound or to think in feeling or, or to think in, you know, like, like uh, in, to think in other senses that we don't even have access to as human creatures? Um, and, and how much more richness does that add to cognition and our capacity to understand that that's, maybe where machines might be able to get the jump on us. But if, if machines um, were able to think in images in, in you know, 10 years out into the future, where, where might that make a, 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 a difference? Like, or where, where might we see that hit the ground running? Creativity, creativity. I was once listening to an interview by Paul McCartney, and Paul McCartney, you know, the interviewer was yeah. asking, you know, where did you come with this song, Love Me Do, Love, Love Me? You know, Love Me Do is not even a proper English phrase. And what Paul McCartney said was, he doesn't think in terms of Love Me Do or words like that. He thinks in terms of music. And once he has the music, he puts the words in. 
what a beautiful idea. You, like you were saying, we think in so many different senses. And if we could capture that in a machine, then the creative potential in these machines expands many more. Yes, and I think I think maybe what we've learned in the last uh, you know fifty years of AI is that it is more than just making it smart at certain things that where some kind of higher intelligence will emerge. There's all these facets to our intelligence beyond you know what what I think is pessimistically called kind of the cold reasoning. Um, there's there's all these creative you know all oh, machines will never be creative, and I think one reason that it's it's maybe easy to say that now is because we don't exactly see a terrible amount of it, but through you know, various fields of endeavor from biology and beyond and cognitive systems and, and beyond, uh, maybe we can get an understanding of what the constituents of creativity are from the folks like Paul McCartney or whatever, and, uh, and aim to build that in machines. So, okay, so if they could think in images, we might be able to shake creative capacity out of machines that right now we think of as somewhat boring when it comes to creative tasks. That's at least what the, that's the yes, that's a, a line of research in AI, and I think it's a really exciting one. I'll end by sort of uh, quickly, very quickly mentioning one more. Okay. You know, we often think about intelligence and emotions and ethics as three separate things. What has intelligence got to do with emotions? What does intelligence got to do with ethics? Uh, I think AI increasingly thinks of them as being unified. And intelligence, emotions, and ethics will come together when we build more and more intelligent machines, those machines will not only have such a sort of raw intelligence the way you and I are talking about it, they will not only have this creativity uh, that we were just mentioned, they will also have emotions or also have ethics. Huh, okay, so you think modeling, now they won't have emotions, you know, just like their thoughts won't be through neurons, their emotions won't be through uh, neurons or hormones or whatever the case may be like ours are either, but you think in order to... Uh, create the richness of cognition that would mimic uh, uh, humanity maybe in, a, in creative capacity or otherwise, that would need to be part of it. A semblance of, of emotive feeling would, would be part of the developing richness of, of cognitive depth, that those are sort of inseparable in some way? Exactly right, uh, Dan. Uh, I believe that uh, not only I, but an increasingly large number of cognitive systems um, researchers believe that um, emotions are a central part of our cognition, and so are ethics. Part of what makes you and me intelligent is our ability to understand that we need to be nice to each other. Because if I was overly selfish about everything I do, well, you know, I will not go get very far in this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I need to cooperate, I need to be fair, uh, I need to have ethics so that other people behave to me in a similar way. That's how I make progress, that's how you make progress, and it's part of intelligence. Huh, and so so um, the future may come to show, as maybe you know, cognitive systems or cognitive scientists might be believing now, that, that those aren't in fact separated, and maybe we'll understand those connections better through machines, which is where we started with this interview. So fantastic. Um, I know we're, we're right up on time, Ashok. I wanted to just say thank you so much for being able to share your insights. This has been a fascinating episode. Well, thank you for having me. It's just, it's just a pleasure to talk with you and all of your audience.
And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week. 